Hey, welcome to the Communities Podcast. We hope this message will encourage, challenge, and ultimately grow you in your walk with Jesus. Subscribe for weekly messages and share this message with your community. Let's dig in. So 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. So in my spirit, there is this, uh, I believe God is calling us uh, to be more spiritual. I believe that God is calling us as the church as well to get up higher for us to become more spiritual. And I believe that there is a constant call from God for you to come closer to him and for you to move away from that which is natural, move away that which is soulish, but that you would come spiritual, that you would set your mind on higher things, that you would think a little bit higher. And so our core verses uh, for this morning is, is verse 44. If you go down to 1 Corinthians 15 for the sake of time, I wanted to read the whole chapter, but every single time I do preparation and I'm reading out loud, then my wife's always like, are you going to read the whole thing? I don't know what that actually means. I don't know actually what she's saying. Uh, Warren, just open this one. Thanks. So 1 Corinthians 15, and I, and I just want to touch on verse 8 and then verse 21 just to set the platform for us um, as, as, thanks, as, we, uh, as we get to verse 44. It says uh, in verse 8, Then last of all, he was seen by me. And this is Paul talking. Paul writes to, to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is the most perverted church in the New Testament. They have the most stuff going on. They're the ones that messed up a lot. And so you find that Paul is constantly throughout the first Corinthians, second Corinthians, always bringing correction to the church, always teaching them the way that they should go, telling them what they should do, telling them to stop messing with doing things that they shouldn't be doing. But in verse eight, he says this, then he was seen also by me, one who was born out of due time in the Greek. It actually means uh, unperfected stillborn embryo, which I find that was pretty, pretty interesting. I just read that for the, for the fun of it. Uh, not got anything to do with our sermon, but it was just, Interesting to see how it was translated that Paul, who is then gone, he's, the, he's probably the most successful Christian. He's more successful than all the other disciples and the apostles who actually walked with Jesus for three years. And he goes around throughout all of the area of Ephesus, Galatia. He goes all the way up into Rome, into Italy, and his epistles. When, when Paul used to go and preach, people used to laugh at him because of the way that he was disfigured and the way that he looked. The way that he looked because he was so abused. In fact, a lot of the scholars would reckon that he, would, he had a little bit of a limp on him. Because if you understand that when Paul was stoned and you understand the Jewish way of stoning is by, now they don't just chuck little pebbles and gravel at you. And it's not like here in South Africa where you've got half bricks coming at you and you're running for your life. It's actually they surround you and they stone you with the intention to kill you. And then at the end, they stand over your head with a rock and they chuck it on your head to crush your skull. And so this was a man who was completely disfigured. In fact, when he used to come to preach, people used to laugh at him because of the way that he looked. He looked like a little bit of a, a hunchback of Notre Dame. I hope I said that right. Okay, so he used to look a little bit like that, but his epistles, his letters used to scare people. Because of what he had written, he written with such conviction and the Holy Spirit was upon that. That whatever he had written, it actually addressed issues within the church. In fact, seven times the Bible will tell you to repent in, in, in the epistles. And once it will say repent being sorrowful. The other time is repent being joyful. But when he had written a letter, it actually brought sorrow and fear to the church as they read out his epistles. And if you understand the early day church, it wasn't anything like this. You know, they didn't have uh, microphones and cameras and all those things. But what they did do is they used to stand up and they used to read scripture. That's what they used to do. In fact, the, the Greek Orthodox Church still does it today. When they're talking in Greek, they, they actually sing the scripture to you. That's what they do. And I, 
my uncle took me to an Orthodox church and I sat there and I was like, oh, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. What are they saying? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, I thought you were Greek. And he's like, he's like, yeah, but they're speaking ancient Greek. <laughs> and I'm like, so nobody here understands what they say? He goes, no, not really. <laughs> like, why do you pitch up? <laughs> you know, because it's not like there's air conditioning in a Greek Orthodox church. So it's like, why, why pitch up? But they used to sing scripture. So they used to take the letters of Paul and then they used to then sing it out. They used to, well, they used to speak it out and that used to bring fear to the church as they would used to listen to what Paul was writing to them. And so when Paul, who is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, who didn't think himself worthy to be apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, you read it in the introduction of 1 Corinthians 15, he actually says, I do not, I do not, I do not deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. This is the guy that when people used to gather like this, used to come in and drag you out and then stone you or beat you because you used to gather like this in the name of Jesus. That's what Paul used to do before he had his conversion in Damascus, before he met the word that he thought he knew. And he actually says in 1 Corinthians 15, by grace, I am what I am. By grace, I am what I am. Your yesterdays are part of the picture that God wants to see today. He, your, your yesterday, God still calls himself, I am God of Abraham and Isaac, who did a good job, and Jacob, who was a fleshly yeah. Christian man. Represents somebody who makes mistakes. Somebody who was messed up. And even after God changed his name to Israel to say, no longer will you be trickster, no longer will you be deceiver, he still associates himself to, I am God of Jacob. I am God of Jacob. Verse 21, for since by man came death, by man also came resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so Christ we all shall be made alive. You can only come from two places. You can only come from Adam or you can come from Christ. There is only two, two birth places you can come from. You can either come from Adam or you can come from Christ. So let's go to verse 44. So we set the stage. That's always the problem when you're preaching in front of white people. They're always so quiet. It's like I'm just looking at a camera. Everybody else is here. We have like almost 20 people in the room and they're just sitting there. Amen. <laughs> it's like, no, you need to help us out here, man. Come on. <laughs> and the rest is like, you can't. He's a coconut. <laughs> Verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and then there is a spiritual body. And so it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a living, giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man, verse 47, was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust and is and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Verse 46 is really the, the crux of where I'm going today. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. This is the core verse because I want to explain something that a lot of us as Christians miss. miss. We miss this quite a lot. 
that it's first spiritual, then that it is, uh, it is first natural, then it is spiritual. In other words, when people come under curses, you'll find that they'll take them chicken, lick and bones, and they will throw them. That's a natural thing. And then a spiritual curse would be associated to that natural thing. You'll remember that in Deuteronomy 28, that God, God constantly, throughout the book of Deuteronomy, throughout the book of Exodus, God constantly through Moses is telling the people that if you obey, the blessings of God would come. In other words, the blessings is not something that is some magic voodoo that God has put over his people. The blessing is actually when you're obedient to what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. In other words, if you want to invoke the blessing of your life, and we all need the blessing. Why do we need the blessing? That's a good question. Numbers 22. In Numbers 22, you will find that Balaam, who is a very interesting character, has this meeting with God. He's instructed by Balak, who is a prince of Moab, who says, go and, uh, go and curse the Israelites as they're coming out of Egypt into the promised land. And as Balaam wants to do that, and this is very interesting to me because Balaam is not part of the covenant. In other words, he does not come from Abraham's lineage. So what ha gives him the right to actually converse with the living God. It's also like the, the character of Job. He is also not part of the covenant of, of, of God in the sense that he does not come from the Abraham lineage. So why does he have access to God? This reveals a little bit more of who God is to us because he is not just for an, an, an inclusive God in the sense of, or an exclusive God where he's saying, I'm only going to take care of these people. He is a God who reveals himself to everybody. And so Balaam wants to curse the Israelites and God speaks to Balaam and says, you cannot curse them for they are blessed. That's why you need the blessing of God, because the blessing of God will hold back the, the devil's intentions against you. That's why the blessing of God is so important and that's why we need it. We don't just say bless where we want the blessing of God because we want riches or we want bigger houses or we want bigger things. We need the blessing of God because it holds back the curse. It holds back the curse. And so when you are obedient to God, you usher in the blessing of God. It is when a physical thing, that, in other words, let me cite you some more examples, because I know some of you are looking at me going, what are you talking about? If I give, it's a natural activity, right? Yes. I give you money, right? What happens? Yeah. It, invokes, <laughs> it invokes a spiritual blessing, right? It invokes something in the spiritual. It's something natural. But there is something spiritual attached to it. That's what Paul is teaching to the Corinthian church. That things that happened first came in the natural. There was a natural Adam and then came a spiritual Adam. There was first the Adam who became a living being. He was created. So everything that you see in the spirit and why I'm saying this to you is because if you understand what is against your life, you would begin to understand that there are natural things that are attached to you that allows the devil to come into your life because the devil can only come in if he's legally allowed to. He only comes in because he's illegally allowed to. You'll remember he could not touch Job because God had a hedge of protection. Why did God have a hedge of protection? Because Job every morning used to get up and give sacrifice to God. He was doing a natural thing that invoked a spiritual blessing. So if the devil can get you to stop praying every morning, because I beseech you therefore, brethren, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, Romans 12 verses 1. In other words, it's again, it's a natural thing that I present to God, myself to God in the mornings. And when I come to God, I am, I am presenting myself as a living sacrifice to God. And then God has to give me a hedge of protection because there is a natural activity that invokes something in the spiritual. Now, the one thing that Christ has done is he has delivered us from the curse of what? Galatians chapter number three, the curse of what? 
Oh come on, don't be like, don't you know your Bible? Galatians chapter three. <laughs> he is he is taken away the curse of the law, meaning that no longer if you obey the law comes a curse. But did he take away every curse? It's a good question. <laughs> that that dramatical pause. I was just getting water. If you took away every single curse, then witch doctors would no longer be in a job today. In other words, we wouldn't be pushing out Sangormas in the, the mountains of KwaZulu-Natal and Eastern Cape every year, hundreds of them. The reason why the enemy gets to attack you is because there is something in your life that you are allowing the devil to come in. And one of the good examples is one of these. Now, I'm not saying to you be an Amish, you no longer have a TV. I'm not saying that. But this acts as a portal. What you allow to bring into your life will allow, it will, it will give the devil legal right to come into your life. There are three reasons why the devil is allowed to attack you. One would be because God allowed him to. He set you up like Job, where he says you can test him. But the only reason why God would ever allow you to suffer, or the only reason why God would ever allow you to, te to be tested is because there is a promotion on the way. Yeah. When you go to the one grade to another grade, for those who were in school, for those who can remember that far back, right? You only wrote a test when you were ready to go into the new level. So the only reason why God, the great teacher, the great rabbi, would allow you to be tested is because there's a promotion coming. And the only reason why God would allow the devil to attack you is because there is a blessing. And the nice thing about God is because he's omnipresent, meaning he's in your yesterday, he's in your today, and he's in your tomorrow. So he would know what you, would, what you can take. That's why the Bible says in the book of Corinthians that you will not be allowed to be tested beyond your measure. In other words, you'll not be allowed to be tested beyond your strength. In other words, God knows there is more in you. That's why he allows the stuff to come against you. And I know that when you're suffering, it doesn't feel like some good word because sometimes when I'm lying in the hospital bed, it feels like and my wife comes to me, God will not allow you to be tested further. I'm like, woman, you better step back because <laughs> I don't think I can take this because there's just too much pain. There's too much suffering. There's too much things going on. How can you tell me that God will not allow me to be tested beyond my measure? How do you, can you tell me that God won't allow me to be tempted? Look, can you not see? And God is asking me, Nicholas, can you not see what is in you? Do you not know that he is greater in you than he that is in the world? I've allowed you to be tested this much because I am God who asks you to, be, to have faith. And I will never ask you to do anything that I myself will not do myself. Sure. Meaning, I have more faith in you than what you have in yourself. Yeah. So I will allow you to go through the cancer. I will allow you to go through the sickness and the disease. I will allow you to go through the divorce. I will allow you to lose things on the way and people along the way. Because I know what I have put inside of you. That's why Jesus comes to us in Matthew 13 and he talks about a great treasure that he places in a field. And then he sells everything that he has to buy the field. The great treasure is the Holy Spirit. You are the field. And he sold everything, his son, so that he may buy the field. You. To buy you. So God is calling us to be more spiritual because if you're more spiritual, it begins to start with your perception. When you begin to see things in the spirit and you begin to understand that everything that is allowed to come against you, if, if God allowed this thing and if he did not allow this thing, ask yourself the question, how did I allow this thing? What did I do? And God will show you. What did I say that invoked something in the spirit that allowed this thing to come in? That's why it's important for you to confess your sins.
Confession of your sin is not because we're a bunch of nosy people who want to know what's going on in your business. We say, that's what I love about the Catholic Church. You go in there and you confess your sin to somebody. Why is it important for you to, to confess your sin? And people will say to me, but Nicholas, I confess myself to, to my sin to Jesus, no, no, to nobody else. But don't I stand proxy as Christ? Don't you stand proxy as Christ? Are you not God's body on earth? Should you not act as a priest who covers transgressions and sins? Because it's a, a love that covers a multitude of sins. Should, you not be, should we not be a people that is so open that you can share whatever you want to share with me and I don't look at you and judge you because I'm not supposed to? Because the honest truth is I, you already are judged by the tree, by a man who died for you. A lot of times people said to me this week, Nicholas, when you were sharing about the difference between sin and iniquity, I felt judged by you. And when, she, when that person said it to me, I felt like, <laughs> and they knew that I don't judge them. But I don't judge you. I don't judge anybody because to be honest with you, I'm more worried about me making heaven than I am about you making heaven. Because <laughs> I know what goes on here. And when I look at you, I look at you through the veil of the blood of Jesus Christ and I, I can see how much God loves you. But I know the inner chamber of my own thoughts. And God judges what you think. He knows what you think. So a lot of times I have this picture of as, as long as if, if, if he could just allow me to get to the outer wall of heaven, it would be close enough because I'd understand if you didn't want me in. That's me. That's my issue. You do you. And if God is so disappointed in me that he doesn't allow me in at all, then hell is not far away enough from him because hell is not a place that you suffer for me. Hell is a place that God isn't in. Because that's what it looks like when you really love someone. That's what it looks like. So no, I don't judge you. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, I judge no one according to the flesh. But I do judge your sin. Because your sin did cost my Jesus to be on the cross. That's why it's important for you to know that. It's important for you to confess that. God calls us to a place to be spiritual. You, you must understand that. You must know that. And when you have a revelation of what he's done for you, there is a love that enters in. And the more you see him, the more you realize, I can't, I, 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 he becomes more holier. And I become more sinful. And I see him. The closer I come to him, the further away I realize he is from me. And so my pursuit is to find him. And the more I find him, the more I feel, see how much he's actually paid to get me. Because he knew, because uh, I just thought it was my little sin that, that kept me away from God. And the closer I came to him, the more he, re he showed me what's going on in my mind. And the more he showed me how I fall apart. And then I go like, but you saw this whole picture. And you still wanted me. You saw this whole picture and you still called to me. You saw this whole picture and you still want me to come close to you. There is this love from God for you that he will fight you to get to you. He will fight you to get to you. And there's this call for you to come closer to him because the only thing that he wants is for you to know me. The greatest desire, every time I walk into a room and I minister for 12, 13 years, every single time I ask God, what do you want to say to them? And every single time God will say to me, tell them that I love them. Tell them that I want them. 
Doesn't matter who I'm ministering to. Doesn't matter where I go. There is this call for God from God to say, come closer. And it is your sin that easily ensnares you, that holds you down. That's why God has an issue with your sin. Not because he hasn't dealt with it. He dealt with it at the cross. He has an issue with it because you were born to fly and your sin is keeping you on the ground. Your sin disfigures you and it doesn't make you like what he wants you to be. When Adam, in the 1 Corinthians 15, it says all creation was subjected to him, to Jesus. And Jesus subjected all creation to him because he had the authority. You, you know the story. He, he went to the cross. He got off the cross. He laid the smack down to the devil. He whipped his backside. He was there for three days. And he made him, as, as the book of Philippians says, he, he, he made him a spectacle. And if you understand culturally what that meant was he was dragging the devil Behind a chariot. You saw the movie uh, Troy with Brad Pitt, right? All the women are like, yeah, I saw that movie. I saw that movie. Right? And that e at the end, when he fights Hector, who is the warrior of Troy, and he drags him. That's what it means in the ancient world to make a spectacle of someone. So in other words, this is not Bible. This is Nicholas. This is the NIC translation. Right? This, is, this is, Jesus went down, and he dragged the devil all over hell and said, this is your champion. And I made him nothing. That's what it means that he subjected all creation to himself. But Adam, when Adam was created, God gave him dominion over all the earth. And at Romans 8.20, when, when it says that Adam, who, who, had, who had creation subjected to him, brought it to fertility, meaning that he brought it to nothingness, because remember when Eve went, and uh, that's why I've got to be careful, Richard. When, when Eve went, took up the fruit, and she ate, and, and, the, and Adam didn't say, oh, look at this. Is this the devil? Right? He, what did he do? He ate. Why did he eat? Because he knew that God was going to come in and whip Eve. So he became sin to whom he did not know sin, so that he may be her savior. Sound familiar? Christ became sin so that you would become the righteousness of God. You, the bride of, of Christ, the woman. If the first Adam stood in the gap for Eve, would the second Adam, Jesus, not stand in for his Eve, the bride of Christ? And there is this call that you begin to understand as Christians, if you want victory in your life, that things happen in the natural first, and then it follows the spiritual ramifications. I make a vow with my mouth in the natural. I make a vow to say I'm going to marry you. I make a vow to say that I'm going to follow you. I make a vow to say that I'm going to get up every morning and pray to God. I make a vow to follow Jesus. So it's a natural thing. It's a spiritual ramification I have covenant with God. When you give your life over to God and you come to the forward, we, we do that whole, you know, call you to the altar thing. And you come forward and you're like, I come as I am, I come as I am. And sometimes we leave as we are, we leave as we are. But when you make that covenant to God, something happens. It's not magic. There's no science to it. You give your life over to Jesus and all of a sudden you changed. I can't tell you what happened, but I just tell you that what I used to do, I don't do anymore. I just tell you that when I look at things that I used to do to draw me, I look at that and go, I'm not interested in those things anymore. That you would see the world through the eyes of the Spirit. That you would understand this. Galatians 5.17 says this, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary to one another, 
so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, you do not get the things that you want because you still operate in the flesh. The complete Jewish translation says it this way, for the old nature wants what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit wants what is contrary to the old nature. These oppose each other so that you find yourselves unable to carry out your good intentions. Here's the interesting thing. As it first happens in the, in the natural, then the spiritual follows. Here's the interesting thing. The word natural there is again incorrectly translated in, in your Bible, unless you have a different translation. But in New King James, it's incorrectly translated. The word natural there is actually soulish. Meaning that the first Adam, when it says the Bible says God created Adam and he made him a living being, your English translation will say living being. In the, in the Hebrew, it would be nefesh, which means a soul. When the first Adam was created, he made him a soul. The second Adam is a life-giving spirit. He is a spirit. Meaning that God's intention for you to, was always to be spiritual, not to be soulish. But when he created Adam, he made him a soul being. But he had wanted to have his spirit inside the soul being. And the only way that he could do that is if there was a blood, Jesus' blood. That's the only thing that gives God legal rights to be inside of you. So that everything that you do that is of natural is soulish. Meaning that when you try and serve God by using your soul, and a guy called Watchman Nee writes a good bio, he's, he's part of the modern day Christianity that really differentiates between soul. He wrote a book called The Spiritual Man Between the Soul and the Spirit. There is a, as, as Christians, we believe in trichotony, triune being, meaning that you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And if you try and serve God from your soul place, from your natural place, you'll miss him because you will go on what you feel instead of what you know. So when, when Eve was tempted by the devil, when Eve was tempted by the devil, he came to her and he lied to her. He said to her, God doesn't want you to eat of this tree because he knows that if you eat of this tree that you will become like God. But if she was a spiritual being and she had a knowing instead of a feeling, she would never have desired that which she doesn't. What does God say to you about you? Do you know who you are in Jesus? Do you know who you are in Jesus? Can I take it a little bit further? Can I go a little bit deeper? In Greek and in Hebrew, you have masculine and feminine for names. In other words, if I say in Greek that this is a table, it means it's feminine. If it's a chair, it's, it's masculine. The word in Hebrew for soul, nefesh, is feminine. David writes in your King James translation in the book of Psalms where he says, My soul, I will make boast in the she will make boast in the Lord. My soul, she will make boast in the Lord. Meaning, when, when Paul writes and says to I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man or to teach, he's not really saying that he has a problem with you wearing a dress. He's saying to you that I don't have I have an issue with people who are ministering from their soul realm and not from a spiritual realm. Therefore, I do not permit the woman, the soul, to have authority over the man, the spirit. Because when Christ came, he came as the man. And when the devil tried to tempt Christ like he did with Adam, he got it wrong because he was coming against a spiritual man where before he was coming against a soulish man. That's why it's important for you to be led by the spirit as the sons and daughters of the living God. Because if you can be in the spirit, you can resist the devil and you will have authority over the devil. If you are in your soulish realm, you will be given away to thoughts. 
And where does the devil mess with you? In the way that you think. And he tempts you and he leads you into the wrong place. Am I making sense? In Greek, you would find psyche, which, which we would get the English word psyche. That's why if you study psychology, you're studying mind. And if you study psychiatry, it means medicine to the soul. That's what the word psychiatry actually means. And psyche is actually feminine. Here's the interesting thing. Ruach, which is Hebrew for spirit, is masculine. Pneuma, which is Greek for spirit, is masculine. You're seeing something here? Are you seeing a picture? Are you with me? Okay. Watch. When the enemy comes against you, he comes to you in your mind and he attacks you in your mind. So he attacks you where? In your soul. What is Christ calling us to do? He's calling us to live according to the spirit. In Galatians chapter number 3 and in Romans chapter 4, if you want to make notes. Paul addresses the church in Galatia, and Galatia is the first uh, epistle that is written. The in Christ message was written before the kingdom message, meaning that the Paul's epistles were written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Matthew was written about 50 AD, which is the earliest of the Gospels, so, but the book of Galatians was also written in 50 AD, so we believe. So in Galatians chapter number 3, Paul writes to the Galatians church, he says, "O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That you had started out in the spirit and then tried to make yourself better and manifesting yourself in your purity and your holiness through natural things. I'm, I'm loosely translating and paraphrasing. You have gone to become a spiritual Christian and you've moved over to serving God through your soul. You have become a soulish Christian instead of remaining to being a spiritual Christian. And then he points this thing out to Abraham. And he says, wasn't it accounted to Abraham for righteousness? Because he first believed. And he wasn't fulfilled by his works, by what he could do naturally, meaning that he had attained to a form of righteousness because he believed God instead of trying to fulfill his own righteousness by doing, meaning that there's nothing that you could do to make yourself holy. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself right before God. There is this, I must believe. And then I must act upon my belief. So in Romans, Paul, who is the last epistle that Paul writes before he dies in the book of Romans, he also points out to the same story in Romans chapter 4. And he says the same thing where he says again that Abraham's was justified by because of his belief, not by his works. And in the book of James, brother James comes to us and then James says to us, no, no, no. I think you guys have got it wrong. He says to us that it is by Abraham's doing that made him righteous. Not his believing. And you ask the question, but that seems to be a bit of a contradiction. You're asking me, what's that got to do with what we're talking about? And I'm going to get to it in a minute. James, by studying the book of James a little bit closer, you will realize that James is saying Abraham found righteousness by because when he moved by what he believed, he was by his conviction, righteousness came to him. And the proof of his righteousness is the way that he lived out his faith. Paul was also right to say, when you study the book of Genesis and you study the story, Paul was also correct to saying, but Abraham first believed and then it was accounted to him for righteousness. What's that got to do with being spiritual? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you to do that you are not doing? In order for you to fulfill the righteousness that is in you, that God has called you to, means that you have to be moving and be prompted to move with the Spirit of God. And by moving with the Spirit of God, you will attain to righteousness which God has called you to. And you are operating in the Spirit. 
you are then becoming a spiritual being. What are you not doing that God is telling you to do? And why are you not moving? Because when Christians stop moving, then they are tempted to begin to serve God through their soulish realm. They're tempted to serve God in the natural because a person that is constantly moving is constantly going where the wind blows them. The Ruach HaKodesh is moving. God, the Holy Spirit. Because Ruach, which means breath, it means wind. When God moves his hand, a person who is in the Spirit would feel the breeze and begin to move where God just was. A person who of the Spirit, when God breathes, would begin to sense the breath of God begin to be filled with what God is doing and saying, and then move. And there is a call to us as a church to say, begin to move as God is leading you to move, and you will begin to walk in righteousness, and you will not be snared by your sins because you will constantly be moving what God is telling you to do. And if you understand that, and you begin to clean your house out a little bit, you begin to remove the objects that are they're placed in the natural that the devil uses to torment you. But understand that our warfare is not against the devil. It's not, no. It's not against the devil. The biggest warfare that you will ever go into is against you. The, 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 the rules of warfare is don't engage with somebody that's not your equal. The devil is not the problem. You are the problem. No. Revelation chapter number 12. The devil fell, Lucifer. He took a third of the angels with him. Right? You remember that? Who's missing from that fight? God. Jesus. You. Why? Because the devil's not your equal. Jesus dealt with him. He took away his authority that he had over the earth and placed him under your feet. And if you constantly give over to the flesh, what is, it to, what, is, what is the flesh? The whole book of Galatians is written to destroy religiosity. Study the book of Galatians and you will find that the, what you try to do to try and make yourself right is all flesh. It's all flesh. You can't make yourself right by what you do. When you begin to move as God leads you to move, you begin to do what God wants you to do, and therefore you are right. So God is calling you to a place of moving and not standing still. He's calling you to a place of breathing, that I may breathe on you. Pneuma also means breath. It also means wind. And that's why we are a peculiar people, and that's why sometimes we're nuts as Christians. Because you're following off the wind. <laughs> We're following off the wind. That's why people look at you sometimes and they're like, I don't know, you freak me out with your long hair and that white shirt of yours. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm following off the, the breath that came past me. I'm following off the Jesus that moved past me. God is calling the church to be mobilized. I feel more tempted now than what I did when I started out my journey with God. I have more temptation now than what I had before then. And the temptation isn't sin in the sense of, you know, the stuff that God delivered me from. My temptation now is that I be made right by what I do. 
that I may find my own righteousness. Because that's if the devil can't get you to give in to your fleshly desires, he will bring flesh to you in a new way. That Nicholas, don't shave your head because Nazarites don't shave their head. That's not why I'm going my head. But <laughs> don't shave your head because Nazarites don't shave your head. Honor the Shabbat from sunset to sunset so that you may be fine more righteous. Praise two, three, four hours a day, Nicholas. Worship the Lord. Read your Bible every single day, Nicholas. Find your own righteousness. And I'm tempted continuously. I thought you were like God. Don't you want to be like God? And all of a sudden, the temptation has changed its form. You cannot be tempted by something that you do not want. You bring a Ferrari to me, I will not want it. Why? Because I have drove a Land Rover and I understand maintenance. <laughs> and I know what's going to look like when I hit a pothole with that Ferrari. I'm not interested in that Ferrari. You cannot be tempted by what you do not want. Jesus was tempted. And for that temptation to be real, it meant that he wanted those things that he was tempted by. And if you understand what he was tempted by, he did the same thing what he did with Eve. He said, if you're the son of God, worship me and I'll give you everything. What was his desire? Everything. Because in John chapter number 17, when he prayed, he said, God, restore to me what we had in the beginning and the glory that we had. Jesus was tempted just like you and I. And there is a call for you to come up higher. But when you come up higher, know that the devil knows that as well. And the devil has to, he's a smart little booger. He has limited resources. He only has a third of heaven that is with him. He is not omnipresent. He has limited resources. He has limited time. So he is extremely strategic. Why can't the, the, the church get the same wisdom? To understand that we have to be more strategic. That we have to use our resources correctly. Why is it so easily that the devil ensnares us with little things that keep us so busy? Because I know, Nicholas, if you start watching that first Netflix series, you watch that next Netflix series, you watch, and then eventually you're like four series down, you watch four episodes, and you're like, I struggle to find time to pray. I wonder why. I find, I struggle to find where God is. Why? Because you've opened up portals. You've allowed people to come into your home that you know that God says, don't let those people come into your house. You're like, but God, they're family. God's like, no, I'm your family. New blood. You get mad and you shout at the people that work for you and you do certain things and you act certain ways and you go to office and you do certain things there. You sit in traffic and you do certain things there. And the devil says, yes, I have you because I just got tempted you and you fell for it. And every single time you give in to sin, every time you give in to a temptation, every time you give in to a distraction that the devil's placed before you, the only thing he's trying to do is pull you down. Because you were created to sit in heavenly places. And if I can get you to lose your stuff, you will lose who you are. And he did the same thing with Cain. Remember when Cain sinned, when he didn't get it right? Genesis 4, 7. God says to Cain, why is your countenance fallen? Your image, who I created you to be. Why is that fallen? 
If you do well, will you not be rewarded? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. In other words, when you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. When you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. I gave you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. There is a call for you to come up higher to God. There is a call for you to move with the Spirit of God. There is a call for you to move as God leads you to move. And the Holy Spirit will work through you through conviction. He will convince you the way that you should go. Abraham was justified. Abraham, it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness because Abraham followed as God led him to. Think about it. Here's a 75-year-old guy. His wife is barren. And the Jewish mindset, the Semitic mindset was, if you don't have children, you don't have salvation. He has a meeting with God. He hears a breath. He has a wind passing by him. And it wasn't his wife. <laughs> right? He has a wind passing by him. And he says, we need to move. We need to go. He leaves his father's house. He's rich. He travels over 400 miles on a camel with a barren wife across country from Iraq today to Syria today through Lebanon and then to Israel. He drives and eventually ends up in Egypt as well because there's a famine. God says, all this land, Genesis 12, I'll bless you. Read a little bit further on. There's a famine in the land. What? I thought you told me you were going to bless me. I left my father and my mother. I left riches. I don't have salvation because I don't have a child. Because that's their mindset. God talks to you on your level. He tests you on your level. And he walks across all this land. And then God says, look at this place. You can just picture it. Abraham rocking up there with Sarah. Going, look at it, baby. It's beautiful. Look at that. It's dust, more dust, and there's some rocks over there. <laughs> and build something nice. And there's a famine that comes into the land. What was he seeing? And why in your right mind would you stay? And then his older brother, Haran, passes away, which means that Abraham, who was not the oldest, then becomes the oldest. He walked away from that too. He walked away from that too. His father was Nimrod's favorite prince. And Nimrod ruled the whole of the Middle East at that time. In other words, he was hooked up. You can't get more hooked up than that. What does he see? And God says, come out of your tent. I want to speak to you. Come out of the place that you have set up for yourself. I want to speak to you. Come out of... Your identity that you have found with those people. I want to talk to you. Come out and look up. Look up because your redemption draweth nigh. Look up because that's the place you're supposed to be. Look up. When famine is in the land, look up. When it goes wrong, look up. Count the stars. That's your children. So when God came to him and he said to him, I will give you a child. He was saying to him, I will give you salvation. 
Because in the Semitic mindset, it wasn't about being in paradise or being in Hades or she Sheol. It was about my name carrying on through my blood. And then don't call him your family's name. Give him a new name that's not in your family. In other words, not only will I give you salvation, Abraham, I'll give him a new name and I'll call him Joy. Laughter. Isaac, that's what Isaac means. Joy. Laughter. He didn't get to give granddaddy's name. Great granddaddy's name. I will take your lineage and I will take your family and I will establish them in the earth. And I will give you this land that you walk and I'll make you a blessing. And it isn't determined on the elements. Listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Your blessing is not found in the rand value. It's not found in the current government situation. I will bless you and I will keep you here. But Lord, did you not know what's happening? I want to get off in case that last ship sails away here. I'm a 50-50 because I can still get a plane ticket. I have enough rands to buy at least one of those. Famine in the land. But Nicholas, look up. Are you led by the Spirit? Do you want to stay? I will bring you through this land. I will make you a blessing. I will establish you. They will come from you, against you from the east. They will come against you from the west. They will come against you from the north. They will come against you from the south. But I will bless you. And I will keep you here. There is a call from God for you to be more spiritual. To come up higher. Stop worrying about the little things that so easily ensnare you. Stop worrying about the things that keep you down. Taking care of this thing. Taking care of this thing. Getting new stuff. God is the God of stuff. He will get you new stuff. You serve him, your stuff gets old, it's his responsibility to get you new stuff and to replace the stuff. But when you get the stuff, you've got to take care of the stuff and then get new stuff when the stuff gets old. Serve him. Worship him. And understand that when you follow him, there is a righteousness that is, sits on you. There is a blessing that no curse can stick to. And if you're constantly moving with God, he'll give you victory. And regardless of the famine, he'll establish you. Because the blessing of God lasts a thousand generations, a curse lasts four. There is still hope. And if you are living here just for yourself, you have a problem. But if you are living here understanding that you have great, 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 great,